forgives all your sins. You heal our diseases. You redeem our life from a pit. You crown us with steadfast love and mercy. You satisfy us with good things. So our youth is renewed like the eagles. We, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are here to worship you. We're here to praise you. We're here to bless you and to not forget all of your benefits to us. You've made known to us your ways. You've shown through all of your scripture from Moses, Abraham, David, Ruth, Esther. You've shown us what it looks like to follow you, to cherish you, to honor you. You show us the grace that is waiting at your table when we, like the prodigal kids, run away. And you're still there with the light on, longing, waiting, looking at the horizon for us to run back to you. Uh, You won't chide us. You won't deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. No, as far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our sins. And so, Father, we praise you and we thank you. So many places we could be on a Sunday morning. And were it not for the grace of God, I shudder to think where I would be on a random Sunday morning before Thanksgiving. But you've called us to this place to help us to remember that our days are like grass. Life is a mist. It comes and it goes just in a a snap, in an instant. But the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting for those who fear him, who keep his commandments. And so, Father, we pray for those uh, that are longing for you but can't find you. Holy Spirit, move in their hearts and in their lives. Uh, Father, we pray for those that are just lost and have no idea where to go. Give us sensitive eyes and ears to see those people in our lives and the courage and the boldness to tell people that we've found a Savior. We've found a Lord. We've found a King who's worthy of following. For those who are struggling with sin, Father, I pray that we would see the gift of repentance. And for those of us who are lonely or tired or sad, as you say in Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort all of my people. Father, I pray that we would trust in you. For those that need uh, to find a refuge, a home, Father, I pray that you would work not only in this locale in which we live in, but Around the world, so many people who just need a home and need protection and need a place to raise their kids. Father, would you help this church, um, and we mean this honestly, would you help this church to make a global impact uh, in the way we give, in the way we love, in the way we send missionaries, in the way we establish churches And the way we love those who are orphaned, fatherless, the widows, the lost. And here in our own locale, would you make this place um, a small city of refuge? That whoever finds 
her way into these doors, would find love and grace and mercy. And now as we turn our attention to you, Jesus, we pray that you would uh, remind us of your beauty, of your treasure, of who you are. Holy Spirit, comfort where you need to, chide where you need to, convict where you need to. We, uh, we trust you with the work that you need to do. And then send us uh, this day into this world with joy, with gladness, with radiant faces filled with hope. Because Christ our King has come. We pray in your name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. Um, But basically, let me set the context for you over the next couple weeks. Uh, After this week, we're going to start our Advent series. And our Advent series is going to be talking about all the gifts that Jesus gives us when he comes. He comes with a treasure. He comes with an inheritance. He comes with a reward. He comes with a crown. And we're going to talk about all of those benefits. We don't talk about the rewards that come in the Christian life, but we're going to talk about that over the Advent season. And then as the videos, uh, unless you're falling asleep during the middle of the service, you will know that these videos are leading us to all next year we're going to read through the scripture together and I'm going to preach through the scripture through whatever uh, section of passages we're reading that week I'll preach through that all next year but today we're finishing up this last sermon on mortification mortification is killing our sins because our sins are killing us vivification, on the other hand, is living a new life in the Spirit. And we've been talking about that. We've been talking about how do we do away with our sins and how do we live this new life. And basically, we want to get to this one question today, which is this, why is it so hard in this life to rejoice? What's keeping us from rejoicing? Because I think many people feel that way. I mean, beyond the normal sadness and pain that comes with death and living in this broken world that comes with the suffering and the trials in this world. What's truly keeping us from rejoicing in mortifying our sin and vivifying a new life in Christ? We're going to do that through Philippians 3. So turn there in your Bibles. I think some of it will be on the screen, uh, but turn there in your Bibles. And I want to read just as 1 through 9, and I'm going to read the rest of it as we go along. Here's God's word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe to you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the word of the Lord. Why don't we rejoice? That's the first phrase. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Mainly because we chase the wrong things. We chase sin and we think, we believe that sin will make us feel right. Uh, it, that's, the, that's what it promises, that false promise of sin. But as the confession tells us, and I'll put this on the screen, I think, Westminster Confession, chapter 6, point 6, every sin, both original and actual, transgresses the righteous law of God and brings guilt on the sinner, and every sinner is consequently subjected to the wrath of God, the curse of the law, the death, and all the resultant miseries spiritual, temporal, and eternal. See, what sin promises us is once you do this, once you engage in this gossip, once you engage in this lust, once you engage in this greed, you will feel right. But then what we get when we engage in that is all the resultant ministry, miseries of it, all the pain, all the sorrow. And if we don't turn to Christ that have that taken away, we'll live in that. Well, if it's not sin, it's idolatry. Idolatry is basically, I'll get right. Once I get that job, once I get that promotion, once I get that girl, once I get that win, once I get that one thing, once I get that championship, I'll get right. But Keller says this, he's been the leader in this for the last couple of decades. An idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. If you love anything in this world more than God, you will crush that object under the weight of your expectations. And that object will crush you. If you love your health more than you love God, if you love your family more than you love God, if you love everything being uh, copacetic more than you love God, no matter what it is, it will crush you and you will crush it. Or maybe it's self-righteousness. Maybe you think once I am right, maybe it's moralism. Once I can act right, then I'll be able to rejoice. But here, look at what Paul says. Paul says, I have reason. I, he won the lottery with self-righteousness. I mean, he's the Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm the tribe of Benjamin. As to zeal, I'm a per- persecutor of the church. I, I am blameless under the law. He got it all right. He got everything right. And he was miserable until God knocked him off of his high horse. And then look what it says. This is Paul who says, but whatever I had, I counted as lost. I count it as rubbish. All of those things in life that I thought was going to make me feel right, was going to make me act right, was going to make me be right, all of those things that was holding on to and grasping on to, they are all rubbish. Elizabeth and I, uh, years ago, went to Saratoga uh, to watch the horses run because a friend of ours owned a horse, which is a great friend to have, by the way. Uh, and he, he bought a couple race horses, and so he took us up there uh, to watch the horses run. And so we went and, do you pet horses? I don't know. I'm scared of horses. I don't like them. But we went in the, the, you know, paddock and I looked at them from a distance. My wife grew up riding, so she loves that stuff. I stayed 10 feet away. And we watched the horses run and we went to the place where you bet 
and uh, we didn't bet, uh, but we, you go to the place where you put $2 on a trifecta or, you know, place or finish or whatever those terms are. I'm not sure what they are. And it was just like the movies. I mean, it was exactly like the movies. All those people with their books and their pencils and their unbuttoned shirt and their gold chains on with their things, you know, yelling at the horse, come on, Johnny, come on, come on, come on. And then as soon as the race is over, the, it, it, just like the movies, they all threw their tickets up in the air, and just the whole floor filled with tickets, rubbish, the, the potential of the trifecta that they were holding onto all of a sudden became absolutely worthless, just in an instant. You know, this word rubbish in Greek actually means to shred. That's actually what it means. And all of those tickets that had so much potential that they were grasping onto for hope that they would be right or be made right found themselves on that floor until they bet on another race. So the question for us, friends, is basically this. What do you think in your life is so valuable that it will make you right? In your past, think about your past. What was it in your past that you thought, if I got that, if I was this, if I achieved this, then I would feel right. Then I could rejoice. What was it for you in high school? That not, some of you are in high school, but many of you can't remember high school. Try to think back that far if you can. What was it in college? What was it in your early 20s or 30s? What were the idols? What were the things that you were holding on to? And now let me press the issue. What is it for you now? What are the idols now? What are the sins that you're engaged with now that you don't want to let go of? What are the, the moral parts of your life that you think, I'm better than other people in this area. What is it now? Because the whole point is you can hold on to rubbish or you can grab on to God's righteousness. You can keep holding on to that rubbish, those idols, those sins, or you can consider that loss and you can grab on to God's righteousness. That's why it says in verse nine, if you look back in this text, and found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's a righteousness not of my own. The, the whole thing with Christianity is this, and I've explained this to you hundreds of times, that God gives you a righteousness. He makes you right, and you don't have to hold on to that. He declares that to you. And if you don't have to grasp it, then you can't lose it. That's why at the funeral I preached, we had a tough funeral yesterday. And at the funeral I preached, uh, John 17 was part of it anyway. Which Jesus saying in that prayer, I haven't lost one of them. I haven't lost one of them that you've given to me. And I won't lose one of them. Because I've given them a righteousness that is not of their possession, but is mine to give, established to them. Jesus gives us this righteousness, but the problem is we want to earn it. We want to be able to say we achieved it. We want to be able to say we did it. We got it. We're a Christian because we're more enlightened, because we're smarter, we, because uh, we're more spiritual than others, because we're better than others. But <laughs> the whole point of Christianity is to enjoy the amazing gift of a righteousness, you being made right, that's not of your own doing. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great doctor, says it this way. Ultimately, it comes down to this. 
that the real cause of our trouble is failure to realize our union with Christ. Many seem to think that Christianity means that we're delivered in that sense that our sins are forgiven, but that is only the beginning. But one aspect of it, essentially salvation means union with Christ, being one with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ, says Paul. All that has happened to him has happened to me, and I am one with him. So this union with Christ where he holds on to us and we hold on to him. Why can't we rejoice? Because we hold on to rubbish rather than grabbing on to God's righteousness. Why can't we rejoice? Because we sit in apathy rather than pressing on to the prize. Let me read verses 10 through 16. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Why can't we rejoice? Well, many of us just sit in apathy. Our lives are dull. (laughs) We're dull. We're not risking anything anymore. We're not pursuing God anymore. We're not, there's no areas of our life where we're practicing faith. We're just sitting in this kind of apathetic state, just going through everything rather than pursuing God. We're seeking comfort. But here's what Paul says in verse 10, which is shocking. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to know him that much. There's only one person in my life besides the Lord that I want to know that much, which is Elizabeth. That's it. No, none of you. Definitely not Mark. <laughs> Maybe Curtis. But to... To love somebody so much that you want to share in the fellowship of their sufferings. My, my largest regret about my relationship with Elizabeth is I, I didn't meet her till college. And, and she went through sufferings in high school. Her house burned down when she was 12, burned down to the ground. And I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have experienced that with her. I wish I could have walked through that with her. That's the kind of love that here Paul is talking about in his love with the Lord. I love him so much that I'm willing to experience the same shame. I'm willing to experience the same problem. I'm willing to, I want to fellowship with him. I want to know what his suffering was like. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get to know Christ on that kind of level. I'm not going to sit in apathy. I'm going to press on towards this prize. So look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or made perfect, but I press on to make it my own, to understand what Christ went through in this life. And I'm going to now associate with him because the way I live life, I'm going to understand not only his sufferings, but also his joys. And look at verse 12, because at the very end of it, he has made me his own. 
That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You know, you, you might be a, a young girl, and you've been waiting for the last two years for that guy who's sitting in apathy to finally put a ring on your finger. Let me just say, if you're uh, a guy in that situation, just do it. Just do it. Get on with life. Just get engaged to the girl and move on. Get married and let's do this thing. But that moment where he puts a ring on your finger is not this moment of oppression. It's this moment of saying, I belong to him. And and he belongs to me. Or or to put it in other words, uh, another analogy, maybe you're a gifted enough athlete uh, to have played professionally at some level that you go to the draft and, and some team somewhere drafts you. And they say, we want you. That's not oppression. You gladly put on the hat. You gladly put on the colors. You gladly say, I belong to this team now. They owe me. They chose me. And here, God, for for no rhyme or reason, because you didn't earn it and you're not smart enough and you're not moral enough and neither am I, God says, I want you to be my kid. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to represent me on this earth to these people until I bring you home. I own you. That's not oppressive. It's glorious. And that's the ethic that we have for basically all of life. Especially, just a little segue here, that's especially the ethic for sexuality, which there's so much we could talk about in sexuality. Uh, We're not going to open that whole thing right now. But the ethic Christians have for sexuality is I actually belong to somebody. Somebody has spoken for me. 1 Corinthians 6, for example, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have for God, and then you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. So we, we forget what lies behind and we press forward to what lies ahead. Look at what it says in verse 12 through 13. Brothers, I do not consider I've made my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and I strain. Now I press on, I move on towards this prize that is before me. Look at verse 14. I press on towards the goal of that prize of this upward call. I'm not gonna sit in apathy any longer. I'm gonna move forward to what God is calling me to do in this life. I have a great, a really great friend of mine. He's a pastor. And uh, this one woman in his church uh, was inviting uh, for years. She worked, she worked in a diner, and she was inviting all of these prostitutes to come to church. And uh, one day they showed up, 30 of them, all in the first couple rows, and he got up and he turned around and there's 30 prostitutes there. And the girl that invited all of them just beaming and his heart sank because his text that day was Rahab the prostitute. And he thought, how is this going to work? So he just preached the text. He just preached what he had. Seven of the women that morning became Christians and are still in his church today. Seven of them. Because what triggered for them is God can use a prostitute like Rahab. He can use me. I can forget what lies behind. 
I can forget all of those dark nights. I can forget all of that. And I can be transformed and I can now press on towards this goal. And I can have a righteousness that's not my own. And so, friends, we press on. I don't know where you are in your Christianity right now. I don't know where you are in following Christ. But we press on. One of the staff members this week, it was a Tuesday, was a, in particular uh, intense day, I should say. And one of the staff members looked at me and said, Andy, we're not quitting this week. We might next week, but this week we're not quitting. Because sometimes you just have to press on. You just have to get up and, and believe the gospel. You just have to get up and remember that Christ is risen. You have to get up out of your bed and say, Jesus is going to be with me today. All of this is going to be over. Life is amidst. But as today, Jesus is with me and I am with him and I'm going to get up and I'm going to press on. I'm going to move towards that prize of that upward call of what God wants me to do because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. As Martin Luther said, this life is not godliness, but growth in godliness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not now what we shall be, but we're on the way. The process is not yet finished, but it's begun. This is not the goal, but it is the road. And at present, all does not gleam and glitter, but everything is being purified. That sounds like a mystic. It doesn't sound like Martin Luther, does it? That was Luther that wrote that. And so if you're frustrated with where you are, if you're frustrated with where your kids are, if you're frustrated with your spouse or your community group, the goal is not perfection. The goal is progressive sanctification, living together in this wonderful thing called life, impressing each other towards that prize, which is Christ. Last point, why can't I rejoice? Well, to be a little bit more frank, because you're either an enemy of the cross or a citizen of heaven. Look at verses 17 and following. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The reality is you can't rejoice if you're an enemy of the cross. Uh, an enemy of the cross, you might not uh, feel like you're an enemy of the cross, but if you, if you despise it, if you view it as a crutch, if, if you view the, the cross of Christ as a sign of weakness, that you don't really need that, you're not that desperate, you're not that bad, you are an enemy of the cross. Or you could be a citizen of heaven. You know, as Hamilton sings, in New York I can be a new man. I haven't used a Hamilton quote in months you should, well, maybe you shouldn't thank me for that. But, you know, there's that, there's that sense in New York. Once I get to New York, I'll be a new man. That's, that's where I can be. But now you're a citizen of heaven. 
You're a new person now. Why did a group from this church welcome all of these Afghan refugees over this past weekend and bring them into a home. This, this young couple, he was a translator for the military. I was going to put a picture up, but we couldn't do it for security reasons. Uh, he was a translator in the military. They got out of Afghanistan, three beautiful little girls and one on the way. Why would people in this church give them a home and care for them and meet them at the airport and tell them they're going to be okay because we're citizens of heaven? That's why. And that's what we do because we're the citizens of this new heaven and this new earth telling people that it's going to be okay and that we can be transformed. And look at what that says in verse 20. And all the time our citizenship is in heaven, but we're waiting on this Savior. That's why today is the day, friends, that you start listening to Christmas music, right? If you haven't started anywhere already, today is the day. And I encourage you to listen to it liberally. Everything but that God-forsaken Trans-Siberian Orchestra thing, which I can't, <laughs> which is horrendous. But everything else besides that, listen, listen. I'm going to get so many emails from, don't write, <laughs> do not write me an email about that. I don't care. I'm just going to delete it. Okay. I, I, just, I don't like them. I don't see the point. Okay. I'm going to go on. But we await, we await. You know what's so great about all the Christmas season? You're longing. You're just longing and longing and longing and waiting and waiting and waiting. That's what makes this season so great. And that's what we're called to do in our lives with Christ. We're awaiting this Savior who's going to transform us. And so I'll end with this. I love these quotes. Anne Lamont said, I do not understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are and does not leave us where it found us. Over a lifetime, God's going to transform you. Hey, and maybe just one little side note. This isn't in my notes, but I said this to the officers in the email the other day. I don't know one person on this planet that doesn't need more encouragement. Maybe one text takeaway from this today is you, you find somebody in your life that has been changed because of the gospel, and you've seen it over 10 years, you've seen the way they've grown, why don't you just tell them? I've, I've seen, you used to be so bitter. You're not bitter anymore. You used to be so angry. You're not angry anymore. Why don't you just find somebody to tell them and encourage them? As John Newton said, I'm not who I, what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but I'm still not what I once used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. That the Lord is going to transform us. And because of that, we can rejoice. And because of that, we can even repent. So that's what Tim Keller says. Fear-based repentance make us hate ourselves. But joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. So I'll leave you with this call. The call to joy-based repentance. Not feeling bad until you feel good, but joy-based repentance, turning back to Christ and saying, I'm going to hold on to your righteousness. I'm asking you to transform me, and I'm going to press on in this life until you bring me home with this joy-based repentance. And then, friends, we're going to long. We're going to make our hearts expand this Advent season We're going to long for Christ together. 
We're going to usher in this Advent season by longing and by waiting and by looking to Christ to fill all of our needs and conquer all of his and our enemies. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Father, we pray you'd make us a people of longing. How our hearts were stirred when we worshiped and we listened to this music this morning when we read responsively these prayers. Whether we're lonely or sad or distant, we turn back to you and we ask that you would change us, remind us that we're citizens of heaven, help us not to be enemies of the cross, but run to the cross, that we would cherish you, that we would prize you, that we would adore you because you are worthy of our worship. And Christ our King, we pray that you come back soon. Pray in your name.